0: Book Four, Chapter Four of the Social Contract. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Social Contract by Jean Jacques Rousseau. Book Four, Chapter Four. The Roman Comitia. We have no very trustworthy records of the early times of Rome there is even great probability that most of the things which have been handed down are fables and in general the most instructive part of the annals of nations which is the history of their institution is the most defective experience every day teaches us from what causes spring the revolutions of empires but as nations are no longer in process of formation we have scarcely anything but conjectures to explain how they have been formed the customs which are found established at least testify that these customs had a beginning of the traditions that go back to these origins those which the greatest authorities countenance and which the strongest reasons confirm ought to pass as the most undoubted these are the principles which i have tried to follow in inquiring how the freest and most powerful nation in the world exercised its supreme power after the foundation of rome the growing republic that is, the army of the founder, composed of Albans, Sabines, and foreigners, was divided into three classes, which from this division took the name of tribes. Each of these tribes was divided into ten Curiae, and each curia into Decuriae, at the head of which were placed Curians and Decurians. Besides this, a body of one hundred horsemen or knights, called a centuria, was drawn from each tribe whence we see that these divisions, not very necessary in a town, were at first only military. But it seems that an instinct of greatness induced the little town of Rome from the first to adopt a polity suitable to the capital of the world. From this first division an inconvenience soon resulted. The tribe of the Albans and that of the Sabines, remaining always in the same condition, while that of the foreigners increased continually through perpetual accessions the last soon outnumbered the two others the remedy which servius found for this dangerous abuse was to change the mode of division and for the division by races which he abolished to substitute another derived from the districts of the city occupied by each tribe instead of three tribes be made four each of which occupied one of the hills of rome and bore its name Thus, in remedying the existing inequality, he also prevented it for the future, and in order that this might be a division, not only of localities, but of men, he prohibited the inhabitants of one quarter from removing into another, which prevented the races from being mingled. He also doubled the three old centuriae of cavalry and added twelve others to them, but still under the old names a simple and judicious means by which he effected a distinction between the body of knights and that of the people without making the latter murmur to these four urban tribes servius added fifteen others called rural tribes because they were formed of inhabitants of the country divided into so many cantons afterward as many new ones were formed and the roman people were at length divided into thirty-five tribes a number which remained fixed until the close of the republic From this distinction between the urban and the rural tribes resulted an effect worthy of notice, because there is no other instance of it, and because Rome owed to it both the preservation of her manners and the growth of her empire. It might be supposed that the urban tribes soon arrogated to themselves the power and the honors, and were ready to disparage the rural tribes. It was quite the reverse. We know the taste of the old Romans for a country life this taste they derived from their wise founder who united with liberty rural and military works and relegated so to speak to the towns arts trades intrigue wealth and slavery thus every eminent man that rome had being a dweller in the fields and a tiller of the soil it was customary to seek in the country only for the defenders of the republic thus every eminent man that rome had being a dweller in the fields and the tiller of the soil it was customary to seek in the country only for the defenders of the republic this condition being that of the worthiest patricians was honored by every one the simple and laborious life of villagers was preferred to the lax and indolent life of the burgesses of rome and many who would have been only wretched proletarians in the city became as laborers in the fields respected citizens it is not without reason said varro that our high-minded ancestors established in the village the nursery of those hardy and valiant men who defended them in time of war and sustained them in time of peace pliny says positively that the rural tribes were honored because of the men that composed them while the worthless whom it was desired to disgrace were transferred as a mark of ignominy into the urban tribes the sabine appius claudius having come to settle in rome was there loaded with honors and enrolled in a rural tribe which afterward took the name of his family lastly all the freedmen entered the urban tribes never the rural and during the whole of the republic there is not a single example of any of these freedmen attaining a magistracy although they had become citizens this maxim was excellent but was pushed so far that at length a change, and certainly an abuse in government, resulted from it. First the censors, after having long arrogated the right of transferring citizens arbitrarily from one tribe to another, allowed the majority to be enrolled in whichever they pleased, a permission which certainly was in no way advantageous, and took away one of the greatest resources of the censorship. Further, since the great and powerful all enrolled themselves in the rural tribes, while the freedmen, who had become citizens, remained with the populace in the urban ones, the tribes in general had no longer any district or territory, but all were so intermingled that it was impossible to distinguish the members of each except by the registers. So that the idea of the word tribe passed thus from the real to the personal, or rather became almost a chimera. Moreover, it came about that the urban tribes being close at hand were often the most powerful in the comitia and sold the state to those who stooped to buy the votes of the mob of which they were composed with regard to the curiae the founder having formed ten in each tribe the whole roman people at that time enclosed in the walls of the city, consisted of thirty curiae, each of which had its temples, its gods, its officers, its priests, and its festivals, called compitalia, resembling the paganalia which the rural tribes had afterward. In the new division of Servius, the number thirty being incapable of equal distribution into four tribes, he was unwilling to touch them. And the curiae, being independent of the tribes, became another division of the inhabitants of Rome. But there was no question of curiae either in the rural tribes or in the people composing them, because the tribes having become a purely civil institution, and another mode of levying troops having been introduced, the military divisions of Romulus were found superfluous. Thus, although every citizen was enrolled in a tribe, it was far from being the case that each was enrolled in a curia servius made yet a third division which had no relation to the two preceding but became by its effects the most important of all he distributed the whole roman people into six classes which he distinguished not by the place of residence nor by the men but by property so that the first classes were filled with rich men the last with poor men and the intermediate ones with those who enjoyed a moderate fortune these six classes were subdivided into one hundred and ninety-three other bodies called centuriae and these bodies were so distributed that the first class alone comprised more than a half and the last formed only one it thus happened that the class least numerous in men had most centuriae and that the last entire class was counted as only one subdivision although it alone contained more than a half of the inhabitants of rome in order that the people might not so clearly discern the consequences of this last form servius affected to give it a military aspect he introduced in the second class two centuriae of armorers and two of makers of instruments of war in the fourth in each class except the last he distinguished the young and the old that is to say those who were obliged to bear arms and those who were exempted by law on account of age a distinction which more than that of property gave rise to the necessity of frequently repeating the census or enumeration finally he required that the assembly should be held in the campus martius and that all who were qualified for service by age should gather there with their arms The reason why he did not follow in the last class this same division into seniors and juniors is that the honor of bearing arms for the country was not granted to the populace of which it was composed. It was necessary to have homes in order to obtain the right of defending them, and out of those innumerable troops of beggars with which the armies of kings nowadays glitter, there is perhaps not one but would have been driven with scorn from a Roman cohort when soldiers were defenders of liberty. Yet again, there was in the last class a distinction between the proletarii and those who were called capite censi. The former, not altogether destitute, at least supplied citizens to the state, sometimes even soldiers in pressing need. As for those who had nothing at all and could only be counted by heads, they were regarded as altogether unimportant, and Marius was the first who condescended to enroll them without deciding here whether this third enumeration was good or bad in itself i think i may affirm that nothing but the simple manners of the early romans their disinterestedness their taste for agriculture their contempt for commerce and for the ardent pursuit of gain could have rendered it practicable in what modern nation would rapacious greed restlessness of spirit intrigue continual changes of residence and the perpetual revolutions of fortune have allowed such an institution to endure for twenty years without the whole state being subverted it is indeed necessary to observe carefully that morality and the censorship more powerful than this institution corrected its imperfections in rome and that many a rich man was relegated to the class of the poor for making too much display of his wealth from all this we may easily understand why mention is scarcely ever made of more than five classes although there were really six the sixth which furnished neither soldiers to the army nor voters to the campus martius and which was almost useless in the republic rarely counted as anything such were the different divisions of the roman people let us see now what effect they produced in the assemblies these assemblies lawfully convened were called comitia they were usually held in the Forum of Rome or in the Campus Martius, and were distinguished as Comitia Curiata, Comitia Centuriata, and Comitia Tributa, in accordance with that one of the three forms by which they were regulated. The Comitia Curiata were founded by Romulus, the Comitia Centuriata by Servius, and the Comitia Tributa by the tribunes of the people. No law received sanction, no magistrate was elected, except in the Comitia and as there was no citizen who was not enrolled in a curia in a centuria or in a tribe it follows that no citizen was excluded from the right of voting and that the roman people were truly sovereign de jure and de facto in order that the comitia might be lawfully assembled and that what was done in them might have the force of law three conditions were necessary the first that the body or magistrate which convoked them should be invested with the necessary authority for that purpose the second that the assembly should be held on one of the days permitted by law the third that the auguries should be favorable the reason for the first regulation need not be explained the second is a matter of police thus it was not permitted to hold the commission on feast days and market days when the country people, coming to Rome on business, had no leisure to pass the day in the place of assembly. By the third, the Senate kept in check a proud and turbulent people, and seasonably tempered the ardor of seditious tribunes, but the latter found more than one means of freeing themselves from this constraint. Laws and the election of chiefs were not the only points submitted for the decision of the commissia the roman people having usurped the most important functions of government the fate of europe may be said to have been determined in their assemblies this variety of subjects gave scope for the different forms which these assemblies took according to the matters which had to be decided to judge of these different forms it is sufficient to compare them romulus in instituting the curiae desired to restrain the senate by means of the people and the people by means of the senate while ruling equally over all he therefore gave the people by this form all the authority of numbers in order to balance that of power and wealth which he left to the patricians but according to the spirit of a monarchy he left still more advantage to the patricians through the influence of their clients in securing a plurality of votes this admirable institution of patrons and clients was a masterpiece of policy and humanity without which the patrician order so opposed to the spirit of a republic could not have subsisted Rome alone has had the honor of giving to the world such a fine institution, from which there never resulted any abuse, and which notwithstanding has never been followed. Since the form of the assembly of the curiae subsisted under the kings, down to Servius, and since the reign of the last Tarquin is not considered legitimate, the royal laws were on this account generally distinguished by the names of leges curiatae. Under the Republic the assembly of the curiae all was limited to the four urban tribes and containing only the Roman populace, did not correspond either with the Senate, which was at the head of the patricians, or with the tribunes, who, although plebeians, were at the head of the middle-class citizens. It therefore fell into disrepute, and its degradation was such that its thirty assembled lictors did what the Comitia Curiata ought to have done. The Comitia Centuriata was so favorable to the aristocracy that we do not at first see why the senate did not always prevail in the Comitia which bore that name, and by which the consuls, censors, and other curule magistrates were elected. Indeed, of the 193 centuriae which formed the six classes of the whole Roman people, the first class comprising 98, and the votes being counted only by the centuriae, this first class alone outnumbered in votes all the others when all these centuriae were in agreement the recording of votes was even discontinued what the minority had decided passed for a decision of the multitude and we may say that in the comitia centuriata affairs were regulated rather by the majority of crowns than of votes but this excessive power was moderated in two ways first the tribunes usually and a great number of plebeians always being in the class of the rich balanced the influence of the patricians in this first class. The second means consisted in this, that instead of making the centurier vote according to their order, which would have caused the first class to begin always, one of them was drawn by lot and proceeded alone to the election, after which all the centuriers, being summoned on another day according to their rank, renewed the election and usually confirmed it thus the power of example was taken away from rank to be given to lot according to the principle of democracy from this practice resulted yet another advantage the citizens from the country had time between the two elections to gain information about the merits of the candidate provisionally chosen and so record their votes with knowledge of the case but under the pretense of dispatch this practice came to be abolished and the two elections took place on the same day the Comitia tributa were properly the council of the roman people they were convoked only by the tribunes in them the tribunes were elected and passed their plebiscita not only had the senate no status in them it had not even a right to attend and being compelled to obey laws on which they could not vote the senators were in this respect less free than the meanest citizens this injustice was altogether impolitic and alone sufficed to invalidate the decrees of a body to which all the citizens were not admitted if all the patricians had taken part in these comitia according to the rights which they had as citizens having become in that case simple individuals they would have scarcely influenced a form in which votes were counted by the head and in which the meanest proletarian had as much power as the chief of the senate we see then that besides the order which resulted from these different divisions for the collection of the votes of so great a people these divisions were not reduced to forms immaterial in themselves but that each had results corresponding with the purposes for which it was chosen without entering upon this in greater detail it follows from the preceding explanations that the comitia tributa were more favorable to popular government and the comitia centuriata to aristocracy with regard to the comitia curiata in which the roman populace alone formed the majority as they served only to favor tyranny and evil designs they deserved to fall into discredit the seditious themselves refraining from a means which would too plainly reveal their projects it is certain that the full majesty of the roman people was found only in the comitia centuriata which were alone complete seeing that the rural tribes were absent from the comitia curiata and the senate and the patricians from the comitia tributa the mode of collecting the votes among the early romans was as simple as their manners although still less simple than in sparta each gave his vote with a loud voice and a recording officer duly registered it a majority of votes in each tribe determined the suffrage of the tribe a majority of votes among the tribes determined the suffrage of the people and so with the curiae centuriae this was a good practice so long as probity prevailed among the citizens and every one was ashamed to record his vote publicly for an unjust measure or an unworthy man but when the people were corrupted and the votes were bought it was expedient that they should be given secretly in order to restrain purchasers by distrust and give knaves an opportunity of not being traitors I know that Cicero blames this change and attributes to it, in part, the fall of the Republic. But although I feel the weight which Cicero's authority ought to have in this matter, I cannot adopt his opinion. On the contrary, I think that through not making sufficient changes of this kind, the downfall of the State was hastened. As the regimen of healthy persons is unfit for invalids, so we should not desire to govern a corrupt people by the laws which suit a good nation nothing supports this maxim better than the duration of the republic of venice only the semblance of which now exists solely because its laws are suitable to none but worthless men tablets therefore were distributed to the citizens by means of which each could vote without his decision being known new formalities were also established for the collection of tablets the counting of votes the comparison of numbers etc but this did not prevent suspicions as to the fidelity of the officers charged with these duties at length edicts were framed the multitude of which proves their uselessness toward the closing years they were often compelled to resort to extraordinary expedients in order to supply the defects of the laws sometimes prodigies were feigned but this method which might impose on the people did not impose on those who governed them sometimes an assembly was hastily summoned before the candidates had had time to canvass sometimes a whole sitting was consumed in talking when it was seen that the people having been won over were ready to pass a bad resolution But at last ambition evaded everything, and it seems incredible that in the midst of so many abuses, this great nation, by favor of its ancient institutions, did not cease to elect magistrates, to pass laws, to judge causes, and to dispatch public and private affairs with almost as much facility as the Senate itself could have done. End of chapter 4